Good morning, everybody. Well, um, <clears throat> if you can remember my last message here, which was a while ago now, uh, probably about a year ago, I spoke about repentance. Um, and repentance and forgiveness are actually two sides of the same coin, really, because there's no forgiveness without our repentance. So uh, I did wonder if I could actually get away with preaching the same message and wondering how long it would take for <laughs> deja vu to set in. But uh, I did think better of that then, because uh, some of you might actually remember. I, I mean, I, I can't remember what was spoken about last week, let alone <laughs> last year. <laughs> but... Um, I'm sure some of you have better memories. Anyway, so there will be a little bit of deja vu. Because there is such a big crossover between repentance and forgiveness, I might be saying a few things that I did say last time. But today, um, we're carrying on this series in the heart of, uh, the heart of God, and the heart of God is, is, is forgiveness. Uh, and I'd like to, to bring up my first verse, which is this one. So this is my text for the day. And the reason I've chosen this text is because it's repeated time and time again in the Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And one of the reasons it's such a powerful declaration is because these are the words of God. This is the word of God when he proclaimed them to Moses. He says this, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him, that's Moses, and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God declares to Moses, I am a God, of a gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, who loves to forgive wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Well, I'd like to give you a bit of the backstory to this, just to give you some context. So Moses, you remember, got the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. Uh, those of you who are old enough will remember the Cecil B. DeMille film and the smoking tablets and the finger of God writing the uh, Ten Commandments and the Ten Tablets in the two tablets. But... Uh, Moses had gone up to Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments uh, on God's command, uh, but he was there a while. And uh, meanwhile, the Israelites got bored. Uh, and uh, they thought, well, Moses isn't coming back. And uh, they took all their gold jewelry and they took all their bangles and their earrings. They threw them into a furnace and, uh, and they cast a golden calf. And when Moses finally got down off the mountain, he found the Israelites worshipping this golden calf. Uh, and he had a bit of a hissy fit, and he broke the two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on them. Um, so anyway, he sort of quizzed Aaron, the high priest, and said, well, what is going on? And uh, Aaron said, well, no, we took all the gold jewelry, put it in the fire, and poof, you know, this thing came out, this golden calf. Uh, and probably not surprised that Moses was uh, pretty unconvinced by this explanation. So anyway, he ground, he told them to people to grind the, the, the golden calf to powder, put it in their drinking water and drink it. Oh, you should really read the Bible. This, this stuff is in the Bible. There's some amazing stories in there. Um, but then he pleads with God. He goes to God and he asks God 
to forgive the people for their wickedness, having had his uh, revenge on them by drinking the gold dust. Um, and uh, God tells him, bring another couple of tablets and I'll do it again. I'll write the Ten Commandments for you. And it's at this point that Moses becomes quite presumptuous, really. And he said, well, Lord, if, I, if you're pleased with me, then show me your glory. And God says this to him. Uh, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom, on whom I have compassion. But you cannot see my face and live, for no one can see me and live. And so Moses goes up onto the mountain. God puts him into a cleft of the rock and he passes by and lets him see his back and he proclaims that statement there. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And that is God's declaration about himself. That's his heart for us. Forgiveness is God's heart for us. And so you would expect that uh, Jesus, who is God in the flesh when he came on earth, would, be, uh, would demonstrate this characteristic of forgiveness. And in fact, I've got three stories this morning of how Jesus demonstrates forgiveness. And they are some of the most bizarre circumstances that you can imagine. The first one's quite an important one, really. It's from this passage in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus famously heals this paralytic man. And there's more to this story than meets the eye, because in doing so, he declares something about himself. Let's just read it. So Jesus stepped, out into, uh, stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came over to his, ho- his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. With that, the man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and praised God. So, if I were to say to you, your sins are forgiven, would you believe me? Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. Do I have the power to forgive sins? No, I don't. What's it easier for for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven? Anybody could say that and not know whether it's true or not. But a paralyzed man who has no ability to get up and walk, if he gets up and and walks, that's a miracle. So Jesus wanted to demonstrate to those who were criticizing him. And of course, because Jesus was, uh, Jesus had a big following. Wherever Jesus went, the crowds followed. Wherever Jesus went, people got healed. And so he was a challenge. He was a, a threat to the established church. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the established church wanted to do away with him. And so 
to say your sins are forgiven, they were, they were saying, well, only God can forgive sins. They knew that. So if Jesus tells this man to get up and walk, then he, if he has the power to do that, then he has the power to be who he says he is and to forgive sins. And so Jesus, in doing this, declares himself to be God and proves himself to be God. Now, there's another couple of episodes which I'd like to look at where Jesus forgave sin in a crazy situation. The next one is probably probably very familiar to you from John chapter 8. I'm sure if we've rolled around the church for a few years, we all know this story. And this story is a setup. So the, the, the religious leaders had, had set this up. The Bible tells us it's a setup. They were trying to find a, a reason to entrap Jesus. So let me just read the story for you. I'm sure you've heard it before, but let's just read it together. At dawn, he appeared to them again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman who was caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. Just imagine, you know, he just ignores them. Many people have wondered what Jesus was writing in the ground when he was being questioned, whether he was writing the names of certain sins or whatever it happened to be. We don't know, but we can speculate. But anyway, they kept questioning him, and he straightened up and said to them, let any of you who is without sin... Be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down and carried on writing on the ground. And there was silence. They froze. They froze. One at a time, they all walked away. At this, those who who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked, A woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. The book of Romans hadn't been written at that time. Paul was still a Pharisee and persecuting Christians, no doubt. But the people who were there with the stones in their hand who were ready to do this woman to death in order to make a point and try and entrap Jesus knew full well what we would know from Romans 3.23, that is, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us has sinned. And as they stood there challenged by Jesus that anybody who was without sin could cast a stone at her, they knew that they couldn't do it because Each one of us is a sinner. And so Jesus gets the better of them. The wonderful wisdom of God. And it's amazing what Jesus does to actually flummox his accusers and his opponents, even to the extent of 
a fish containing a gold coin in its mouth. Amazing things, but Jesus befuddled them. The woman walked away free, her sins forgiven. It is not God's desire to condemn us, but to forgive us. That is his heart, to forgive us. The third illustration is this one. Um, Now, you will have been here a long time if you remember me speaking on this, because it was probably about 12 years ago. (laughs) After I'd been to the Louvre and I put up some pictures that uh, uh, had inspired me from our trip to Paris and the Louvre. And one of the uh, the paintings that we saw was by the uh, medieval artist Giotto. I think it's 15th century. Uh, Remember in the 15th century, um, very few people could read and uh, religious art was particularly graphic and it had to tell a message and so it told it in an unambiguous way. I mean, I really quite like some of the... uh, uh, graphic nature of the, this kind of art. It's a bit like Hieronymus Bosch. I love Bosch, if you know your art. It's just bonkers art. But anyway, this, this piece of, this painting was depicting Christ crucified and the two criminals either side of him. And next to the one criminal, there was an angel taking his spirit away to heaven. And next to the other criminal was a demon taking his soul to hell. It was as plain as that. You know, there was no mistaking the message of this this, uh, painting, and it's all based on this story from Luke chapter 23. So when Jesus was crucified, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said... Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Just think about that for a moment. Here's Jesus. He's been taken before Caiaphas, the high priest. He's been put on trial there. Then he was dragged in front of Pilate. And he was put on trial before the Roman governor in front of the people who had shouting, crucify him. He had been... Uh, mocked, he had been spat upon, his beard had been pulled out, he'd had a crown of thorns pushed on his head, he'd been whipped to within an inch of his life, and now he was hanging on the cross with the nails in his hands and his feet. He looks down at the Roman soldiers who are casting lots for his clothes, the ones who are putting him to death, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. If that doesn't demonstrate to us the heart of God is forgiveness, then what does? I ask you. And they were casting his uh, lots for his clothing. And so one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. For this man has done nothing wrong. Now, I don't know what this man's expectations were there. He certainly knew his situation. He knew he was guilty. He knew he was being punished justly. And he just, I guess, out of 
almost desperation, but he says, that, he says this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Just remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him this, truly I tell you, this day, today, you will be with me in paradise. Beyond the wildest expectations, no doubt, of that man who was on the cross, mercy beyond measure, grace beyond compare, this day, he would be with Jesus in paradise. And that's what it's about, isn't it? Mercy and grace. You know, there's nothing that, there's no sin that cannot be forgiven. A murderer on the cross there with him, or maybe a thief, whatever he happened to do. There is nothing that God cannot forgive. Of course, there's a prerequisite, and that's repentance. We must repent like the thief did. Jesus didn't forgive the criminal who mocked him, only the one who repented. So repentance is a a prerequisite for forgiveness. But there is no sin God cannot forgive. I mean, you might have heard of the unpardonable sin. I mean, I, I would deal with that fairly quickly and say there's only one thing God can't deal with, and that's lack of faith, unbelief. God can do nothing with unbelief. We have to have faith. Faith is the uh, dynamic which underpins our Christian life, our belief, our hope, and our future is faith. Without faith, God can do nothing. And so I think the, uh, the, the unpardonable sin is, is unbelief. But anything else, God can forgive. Where there's repentance, where there's faith, God can forgive because of his grace and mercy. And I'd just like to talk about grace and mercy just for a moment, a bit of a sidebar maybe. Are they the same? Are they not the same? What do they mean? They're actually very slightly different. And I can illustrate what the difference between grace and mercy by one very simple verse, and that's Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Within that verse, there is mercy and there is grace. So, mercy is not receiving what we deserve. The wages of sin is death. Each of us have sinned, Romans 3.23. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and therefore are We deserve death, we deserve hell, we deserve punishment. And it's not just a case of good deeds outweighing bad deeds. It's not a balancing act. James says in James 2.10, I think it is, that if we keep the whole law and break it in one point, we're guilty of the whole thing. So we've all sinned, we're all deserving of death. But the mercy of God means that we do not die forever. We do not get sent to hell. But it's better than that. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He gives us what we don't deserve. That's grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Eternal life. What we don't deserve. We are sinners condemned. Not condemned because Christ has paid the sacrifice for our sins on the cross. I'm sure that many of you know the old illustration of the judge And we're standing in the dock, accused. And we know we're guilty, but he lets us off. That's mercy. 
Then he come down, comes down and pays our fine for us. That's grace, what we don't deserve. So we've talked about the forgiveness of God. Faith and repentance being a prerequisite to receive it. But it's guaranteed. It's not like some other things. It's guaranteed. In 1 John it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, it's guaranteed. Some people perhaps forget that. Sometimes we forget that that forgiveness is guaranteed. But not only does God forgive us, we need to forgive each other. We need to forgive each other. There's a line, isn't there, in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. There is a need for us to forgive others. There's um, a quote which I found, and you may remember this from the last time I uh, spoke, which says that the man who refuses to forgive destroys the bridge over which he himself must cross. I got that there. Yes. That's an incredible statement, isn't it? If we do not forgive others, then we've burnt the bridge. There's no way back. God can't forgive us. <clears throat> There's um, a parable. You remember the parable about the wicked servant? Well, the servant who had an enormous debt, and uh, he owed his master... Let me just see how many bags of gold it was. Uh, well, in fact, the disciples had asked Jesus, you know, they were, they were testing Jesus, you know, oh, it's, it's difficult, isn't it, to forgive people? Sometimes it's hard to forgive people when, when they do things wrong. He said, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins? Seven times? Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, every time. If somebody comes to you and confesses, and repents and says, I'm sorry, then you forgive them every time. Every time. You've got to do it. And then he uses this illustration of this servant who had 10,000 bags of gold in debt to his master. And uh, the master says, right, I'm going to throw you in prison because you owe me all this money. And I'm going to take everything you've got. And he says, no, 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 please, 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 I'll pay you back, I'll pay you back. And he forgives him. The master forgives the servant because he begs, begs him to. And then that servant goes out, finds another one of his fellow servants who owes him a few silver coins. He chokes him. He says, pay me back what you owe me. He says, please forgive me. No, I'll pay you back, I'll pay you back, I promise. He says. But he, no, he says no. And he resolves to send him to prison and get the debt paid. And the master the other servants see what's going on and they report back to the master, you know that servant that you forgave his debt? Well, he's now trying to recover a debt from this other servant. And he says, you wicked servant. You wicked servant. And uh, he says, uh, now he puts him in prison. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? He hands him over to the jailers to be tortured so that he could pay back the debt. And this is the key thing, verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. If you don't forgive those who've sinned against you, then you're in danger 
of not being forgiven by God. God cannot forgive you. There is a barrier. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church. It doesn't matter how much you read your Bible. It doesn't matter how long you pray for. If you do not forgive your brother or sister or wife or husband or son or daughter or whoever it happens to be, if they've sinned against you, then God cannot forgive you. That's how harsh it is. Matthew 16, verse 45 says, is it up there? Oh, no, that's the conclusion. Not yet. <laughs> Matthew 16, 45 says, if you do not forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also, um, sorry, if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. In fact, think about it. If you don't forgive others their sins, then you're, uh, you're treating with contempt Jesus' sacrifice. We mock him if we do not forgive others when we ourselves have been forgiven. And that's the key with unforgiveness as well. Just as forgiveness can have a very powerful effect, um, unforgiveness can be a source of bitterness that will eat away at us. If we don't forgive others, it will eat us, both mentally and physically. Insomnia, um, stomach problems, indigestion, all sorts of horrible things happen when we don't forgive other people. Um, I spoke last time, I, I mentioned this quote from a film called The Light Between Oceans, where a lighthouse keeper finds the... Uh, body of a man and an infant child washed up on his island where he's the lighthouse keeper. And uh, because he and his wife couldn't have children, they take on the child and they adopt it as their own. And then they discover who the mother is and that she's still alive and she's on the shore, on the mainland. But they keep the child anyway. And for years they keep the child. And eventually the the, um, the guilt builds up inside the lighthouse keeper and eventually they find out. He's found out and they have to give the child back. And the mother, instead of being filled with bitterness, says this. To resent, you have to do it all day, every day. You have to keep remembering the bad things, but you only have to forgive once. You only have to forgive once. It takes so little <laughs> other than maybe hurt pride to forgive. But to resent means that you have to keep on and on churning it over inside of you, building it up. It's so much better to release it and to forgive. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance about someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Uh, oh, not quite yet. <laughs> Nearly there, don't worry. So lastly, we've talked about God's forgiveness. We've talked about unforgiveness. We've talked about forgiving each other. But it's so important to forgive ourselves. It's so easy for us to be wrapped up in things that we've done years ago, which can, uh, which can plague us and plague our memories, the things that, uh, and maybe the things that we keep doing over and over again, 
that we know displease God, and yet we still keep doing them anyway. And so we put ourselves on a guilt trip. We think to ourselves, God cannot forgive me because I just keep doing this and because I did that so long ago and I'm so bad that God can't forgive me for this. And we, 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 it, it conflicts with our theology. We know it's wrong and yet we still beat ourselves up anyway. And when we beat ourselves up and refuse to forgive ourselves... What we're saying is that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross wasn't good enough for us. And actually, we're crucifying him again because we are holding on to the, to the guilt that we see and that we feel because we have not forgiven ourselves. And that in itself is a sin. So you need to forgive yourself. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Just believe it. It's guaranteed. Every time, repent, confess, receive forgiveness. It's gone. Don't be troubled by the past. Don't be troubled by the fact that, yes, okay, sometimes we do the same things over and over again. Just take it to God. You're trying. You're taking it to the right place and the right person. He will forgive you. Just forgive yourself if you need to. And so, in conclusion then, what have we learned this morning? I'm just about in time. <laughs> well, <laughs> 30 minutes he told me. I said I've done 35. So. <laughs> so the Lord is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, Rebellion and sin. That is the heart of God. That is the nature of God. God said it himself. We have it from his own mouth. So believe it. Jesus demonstrated it in his ministry on earth. And sometimes, but we need to repent if we want to receive uh, that forgiveness of sins. And that means forgiving those who've sinned against us. And finally, if you need to, don't forget to forgive yourself. Amen. Let me just pray for you. Lord, we thank you that your heart is a heart of forgiveness, that there is no sin that is too great that you cannot forgive it if we truly repent and come to you in humility. So, Lord, we thank you that you are such a great God, that you have such a heart for us, that your mercy is followed by your grace, that not only do you not give us what we deserve, which is death, and eternal punishment, but you give us the joy of knowing that we will spend eternity with you in heaven. So Lord, just help us to, uh, to take that with us as we go through life, not forgetting that there is no sin that you cannot forgive. In Jesus' name, amen.